Well, I'll tell you what, I wish that you guys could have all been uh, with me on Wednesday for the Wednesday night service down at uh, Providence Baptist Bible College. Um, I'll tell you, uh, Brother Tim Green preached, and uh, man, the Lord just got in that service. I mean, it was a powerful, powerful service. God, God met with us in a very real way, um, and uh, we, we sang the invitation song, and the altars were full, and uh, we were closing the service, and Dr. Green gets up, and he says, you know, I just think we ought to, I think we ought to sing a song, and he said, you know, there's this song, and he said this song, he looked at the preacher, and he says, you got anybody here that can sing that? And the uh, choir director said, well, well, I'll sing it, and he's like, no, I think we better do it. I think everybody ought to sing it. Why, why don't we all stand up, and we'll sing it. Man, we started singing that song and following that service. I mean, God just got in that, and, and people just started just saying amen, just praising, just praising God. People started coming down to the altar again in the middle of the song, started uh dr green gets up and he starts talking a little bit he just begins to preach and we're all still standing standing there you know and he's he's preaching and talking and and sharing from his heart and and just uh and then then everybody out there's like you know preach again preach again <laughs> and and people are like Let, let's sing another song and and dr terry angel was there and uh so the pastor interrupts Dr. Dr. Green, who was teaching, and he says, Brother Angel, what song do you want to sing? And Brother Angel uh, calls out a song, and uh, we sing that together, and I mean, they like to come unglued, the, the, the church there, the people, and uh, God was just, just in it. We went about another 25 or 30 minutes uh, just talking and, and uh, praying and, and sharing, and uh, Dr. Green, you know, he, he gets up and he says, some of you people... <laughs> He says, you're going to get to heaven. First thing God's going to do is enroll you in praise 101. <laughs> he says, nothing ever moved. He said, now I know there's different kinds of people. There's some of you. All you do is cry. You just, I mean, you cry about everything. You, you cry. And he said, there's some of you. You're shouters, man. You'll shout about anything. Doesn't matter what. You're shouters. And there's some that are in between. He said, but there's some of you. What I'm saying is that at some point, God ought to move you emotionally. God ought to get in and touch your heart, and it ought to change you. And uh, he says, God's going to have to enroll you in Praise 101. <laughs> you are a deadbeat. And uh, it, was just, it was just fun, you know, the times where you just don't want to get out. You just want to be in, in God's house and around his word. And Every opportunity that uh, we get to hear the Word of God preached is an opportunity for God to get in and do something in our hearts. Would you turn your Bibles tonight to 1 Samuel chapter number 30? 1 Samuel chapter number 30. This is probably one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Many, many years ago, I heard Dr. Clarence Sexton preach a message from this passage of Scripture the title of which the, was The Road to Jerusalem Always Goes Through Ziklag. You heard that message, brother? Yes, sir. Yeah. The Road to Jerusalem Always Goes Through Ziklag. He developed and told the story of how God had a plan for David. And David knew God's plan, he had been anointed king. And yet, you know the circumstances and what takes place in the life of David. 
between when he was anointed and when he became king. And the heart of that message was the fact that from the place that you learn or find out or get direction from God to the place that you actually end up doing what you believe God has for you to do, somewhere in there there's going to be a ziklag. Well, tonight I want to speak to you in continuing with our theme on how to. And tonight I want to speak to you on how to encourage yourself in the Lord. How to encourage yourself in the Lord. Look in 1 Samuel chapter 30, beginning in verse number 1. We'll read down through verse number 6. And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south in Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken the women captive that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men, when David and his men came to the city and behold, it was burned with fire. And their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken, Ahanum the Jezreelitess and Abigail the wife of Nabal the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him. Because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. There's been opportunities and times in my life where I've been in the place where I needed to encourage myself in God. But as you know, as well as I do, that. To just say that when you're in the middle of a battle, to just say that when your heart is grieved and your heart is broken as David's was here, it's a whole lot easier to say than it is to do. Well, just encourage yourself in the Lord. And in your heart, sometimes you feel like or think, well, I I ought to just be able to encourage myself in God. I shouldn't be feeling like this. I'm a child of God. Why am I feeling so? Can I remind you tonight of the story of David just to try and give you a picture of what's taking place and I think most here are familiar with it but David of course being called into service for King Saul is doing his best he's working hard he's he's gets into battle and he fights hard and he, he he wins many victories and He serves the king and plays his harp and brings peace to the king's home. And over and over again, David, whatever he does, he excels at. What an amazing, exciting thing. The problem is, is a green-eyed demon of jealousy and bitterness gets into the heart of Saul. And Saul allows this to overtake his spirit. And he will not be appeased except by the death of David. Jonathan, Saul's own son, makes a pact with him and tells him, hey, I'll check and see the status of things. And if it's not safe for you to be here, I'll tell you, you got to run. Go a little further, he told his servant. Go a little further. They're, They're yet beyond thee. Go a little further. And David knew he had to run. 
So he, he, he was just trying to do what's right, and yet here now he's on the run for his life. He runs down to Gath. The king, Achish there, and his men determine who this David is. The men come and say, hey, isn't this the guy that they said, you know, Saul killed his thousands, but David is tens of thousands? That would be tens of thousands of us. David all of a sudden realized this was the problem. <laughs> um, and, and you remember the story how he, be, he begins to act mad. He acts like a crazy man. And Achish, of course, at that time, they had something uh, rightfully so, but against a, a crazy man, they wouldn't just kill him. And, and so they said, hey, you brought this crazy man to my house? He's, he's mad. Get, get him out of here. And so David escapes with his life. After narrowing, escape, escaping with his life, from there he begins to go, figures, I'll just go hide in the cave of Adullam. He's there and... For some reason, a group of men decide to come and live with him. There's a group of men that he start gathering around, and there's one or two, and then a few more, and a few more. They come and began to live with him and hang out with him. You ever heard the saying, misery loves company? People just started gathering around. Well, there's a whole bunch of miserable guys. We see in chapter 22, he says in verse 2, he says, And everyone that was in distress, and everyone that was in debt... And everyone that was discontented gathered themselves unto him, and he became a captain over them, and there were with him about 400 men. I, I think these men just started gathering around, and, and it's, it's all these men that had all these issues. They had all these problems. These men that were upset with life and felt they had been given a raw deal and they were in distress. Nothing was going right for them. They were discontent. They were in debt, maybe running from a debtor. Life was rough. Through the hills, the caves, and the mountains there, this cat and mouse game, this cat and mouse drama played out between David and Saul. And you remember the stories where David had opportunity to kill Saul, but he wouldn't. I'm not going to kill God's anointed. I'm not going to touch God's anointed. And David, finally becoming so frustrated with this cat and mouse game and constantly being on guard and trying to be vigilant for his life, we see in chapter 27, verse number 1, that he decides to go and live among the Philistines, the enemy. He says in 27, verse 1, he says, And David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. And Saul shall despair of me to seek me any more in any coast of Israel. So shall I escape out of his hand. David, gone, living among the enemy of God's people. He's able to convince Achish and those, that king and others, that he is a good guy. And that although, yes, he had killed his tens of thousands, he was not going to do it anymore. <laughs> From here on out, I'll be, I'm going to be on your side. Actually, there's literally, you can read those passages of Scripture, and you see him describing this to the king, and he's like, yeah, no, I, I, I won't do that. I'm on your side now. And he convinces the king Achish of that. And Achish says, okay, I, I believe you, and uh, you can come and live here with us and give some a place called Ziklag to live. Well, the inevitable happens. The enemy, that would be David's people. They show up and 
are ready to go to war, King Achish calls all of his leaders for battle. He says, guys, come on. It's time to go to war. We need you. They're all gathering for battle. They're all packed for war. And David and his men say, well, we're on this side now, so let's get our things together. They get all their stuff together. All the men leave Ziklag and go to meet with King Achish and the men ready to go to battle. And uh, all of the leaders, not Achish himself, but all the leaders, they, they look around and they say, it's one thing to let him live here. It's another thing to have to say he's got our back in battle. The story unfolds, and ultimately, King Achish comes to David and says, well, listen, I'm a little sorry about this, but uh, you have not fully convinced the other leaders, and uh, therefore, you're going to have to go home. We don't want you in battle. So David, rejected by his own enemy, running from his own people, living in a foreign land, Supposed to be the king, and yet here he is, tossed aside. It doesn't look like things could get any worse. They're on their way back home, and they come up upon their city. And they see the entire city is burned. If you've been watching the news, you've seen the coast of Fort Myers. The other coastal cities there that have been hit by this hurricane. The utter destruction that's happened and the different news commentators and the interviews of people standing in front of their house that's wiped out. I mean, can you imagine coming home and seeing what little earthly possessions that you did have all burned up? But not only that, His wife and kids are taken captive. They're gone. I can imagine the men standing around and you can hear all of the what ifs. You can hear what, well, man, if we would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. Why did we go? I mean, we we went to go fight and, and we didn't even get to fight anyway. We should have just stayed here. If we would have stayed here, boy, this is David's fault. And a rumor begins to happen among the men. And all of a sudden, Dave hears about the fact that they're planning to stone him. So not only is he on the run from his own countrymen, living in a foreign land, rejected by the king and the other leaders. His home and everything he owns is burned up. His wife and kids have been taken captive. And now his own Band of men, which are a bunch of debtors, disgruntled, uh, angry guys, are planning to kill him. I don't know how it could get much worse. (laughs) But the Bible says in that situation, David encouraged himself in the Lord. David encouraged himself. In the Lord. I want to give you a few simple practical points from this passage of Scripture about how to encourage yourself in the Lord when that time comes. I know it's easier to say than it is to do, but maybe if you had some specific pointers, some some definite things that you could point to and say, This is what I need to do, you'll be able to encourage yourself 
in the Lord. First of all, I want you to know that you need to find hope in God. Find hope in God. The verse number six there says that David encouraged himself in the Lord, his God. He found hope in God when the circumstances looked hopeless. That word encouraged means to fasten upon, means to make strong, to fasten upon. Beloved, we need to fasten upon the living God. Fasten upon the promises of the living God. He's given us a book here full of precious and true promises that we can hold to no matter how hard the situation. There's always hope in God. Things might be bad, but they're not as bad as they could be. One of the news commentators was interviewing somebody I was watching today and their home was wiped out. They've been living there for 10 years and this man... In his home, which was literally a pile of rubble, he said, I, I've lost it all. But then he went on to say, but I'm so thankful for the 10 years that I got to live here trouble-free. Amen. 10 years I got to live here and enjoy this coast and, and see this beautiful. We had 10 amazing years living here. And he said, and I'm thankful also that although I've lost all of this, I was able to go down the road and stay in a brick home so that I didn't lose my life. What I'm saying is no matter how bad it gets, it could be worse. You can hope in God. I remember many, many years ago as a young assistant pastor, I got a call early in the morning that one of the church members' houses was on fire. I immediately got in the car and drove over to the house. I arrived there, all the fire trucks were out there, hoses running all over the place. Mrs. Daniels was standing across the street. Her husband, who was a OSHA crane inspector, left very early in the morning. He was already gone. Mrs. Daniels was standing standing there on the street and tears coming down her face. I stood next to her and she said, it's all gone. Everything, all of our family photo albums, our wedding album, my wedding dress, all of our family history, she's going through and tears coming down her face and she said, it's all gone. I said, Mrs. Daniels, I know that there's a major loss that you're watching go up in smoke right now. But I had her several-month-old baby in my arms. And I said, you've got a baby here. And you have nine other children sitting in the grass over here. Not one of them injured. God's still giving you a lot. I'm not making light or, or in any way detracting from the loss that you have. But what I'm saying is we need to look at what you still got. I know when those things hit us, it hits us hard. But at the very least, no matter how bad it gets here on earth, beloved, we know that we have a home in heaven. Because our sins are forgiven. Psalms 103, verse 2 and 2 through 5 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. 
who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfy thy mouth with good things so that thy youth is renewed like an eagle's. Beloved, we need to stop looking at the problems and start grabbing a hold of the promises. When you get in that place where you find yourself in a ziklag, you find yourself in a place of great distress and turmoil, when you're on the brink of utter discouragement, you can encourage yourself in God if you hope in God. Stop letting fear control you and let faith lead you. David, I can picture him here getting away from the men who spake of stoning him. I can picture him carrying away, maybe followed by his mule or horse. He's got his things for battle on there, but I imagine with who he was and what he did that he probably had his harp there, a little small thing, and he probably sat down on a stone and began to play some songs. Didn't feel much like singing, but I can see him praising God. It is on the wings of a song that David was lifted from his present circumstances to the presence of God. He was able to hope in God, much like Paul and Silas over there in the New Testament. When they found themselves in prison, yet they began to sing and praise. Maybe he sang Psalms 34, which according to the historians he had written just a couple of years before this time. In Psalms 34, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'll read a few of the verses. He says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked unto him and were lightened, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. O taste and see, the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. And in verse 17, he says, The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth, and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and save as such as of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord deliver us out of them all. Beloved, you can't let Satan keep you looking at the negative. You know, it's Satan that does that. You can find hope in God, but it's Satan that causes you to continually just to look at the negative. There are things to be happy about. You can stand in front of a house that's washed away and completely destroyed and all of your possessions destroyed by water, and you can say, hey, I'm thankful for the 10 years I got to live here without trouble. I'm thankful the fact that although my house is gone, I still have my life. You can choose to look at the positive, but it's a choice you make. You choose whether you want to hope in God or whether you want to wallow in misery. There's always going to be something that you can be negative about or dwell upon. It doesn't matter how good things are going, you could find something negative. And beloved, you're letting Satan steal the victory you could have in God by dwelling on that. 
Psalms 42, verse 5 says, Why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God. Hope in God. He says, why are you so distraught? Why are you so discouraged? Hope thou in God. Think about who God is and all of his attributes and his marvelous, wonderful blessings that he's brought into your life. Shame on us as a child of the king and acting like a child of the devil. We trust God for salvation, but we're unable to trust him in the storm. I want you to see, first of all, there that you find hope in God. When you're in that hour of distress, I want you to know also that it's acceptable to be honest with God. Be honest with God. In Psalms chapter 13, and we could go to many different passages, but David was often brutally honest with God. He says in 13 verse number 1, he says, How long wilt thou forget me, God? O Lord, forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? He's describing and and extolling how he felt what he was dealing with. He says, God, it feels like your face is hid from me. God, it feels like I I don't feel and know your presence anymore. Lord, it feels like the enemy is winning. Lord, how long do I got to stay like this? It's okay to be honest with God. To let God know what it is you feel in your heart and, and the turmoil that you have. You're turning it. Hey, leave your heavy burden at the cross. That's where you're supposed to pour it out. Pour it out to your heavenly Father that has the capacity and the ability to do something about it. Be honest with God. Thirdly, use wisdom from God. You know in the middle of a storm, most of the time we use wisdom from ourselves or wisdom from other men. You see in verse number 8 of 1 Samuel chapter 30, this just happened. And, you know, in verse was it 5, they spoke, spake of stoning him. David encouraged himself in the Lord. But he says in verse number 8, And David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail, recover all. What I'm saying is God told him, this is what you need to do. Use wisdom from God in in your situation, not the wisdom of men. Ask God. You know, the the Bible says in James 1, 1, 5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally. We know that many times we lack wisdom or we don't know exactly what to do in a situation. Well, ask God. Use wisdom from God. Don't just act or react, but ask God. The first, very first thing David did was get with God and pray. When you're under pressure, stop and look for God. More often than not, when we're faced with a distressing situation here at the church, I can think of over the years some some very big things that have come up, situations. That's what I liked about being an assistant pastor. 
Because I could just walk up to somebody and say, what do you want to do with this? <laughs> this, is, this is on you. And I can't tell you how many times Pastor Gus has come to me and said, uh, the lawyers just said this. What do you want to do? Uh, we just got this phone call. What do you want to do? And you can ask him many times. I said, I need to pray. I, I'm, not sure. I'm not sure yet. I don't know what to do. This is beyond me. We need wisdom from God when we face these distressing times. You know, way back in when our church went through the hardest days of this church, hopefully the hardest we'll ever have. Lord willing, by God's grace, we'll never be in that situation again. But in those days, you know, I didn't know what else to do, but I thought, well, we need to pray. And that's why we started a prayer meeting before Sunday school. Remember, we kept that prayer meeting until we got a pastor. I'm sorry you ended up with me, but that's what we got. But we kept that prayer meeting. And then we, at the same time, we started the prayer meeting after church that the ladies are doing. And the ladies still meet for prayer afterwards. But we added those two prayer meetings, giving opportunities, again, for us just to pray and seek God. It might be all you can do is look up. But you need to look up. You know, many times we do what we want. You know, I think of David here, even in the situation where David was running from Saul just back up a couple chapters and you see David, well, he's got to go, right? He's got to get away from Saul. So the first thing he does, is he just runs down to Gath. You know Gath, that hometown of the big guy, Goliath? <laughs> I suppose everybody in Gath just thought David was a great guy, right? I mean, why would he go to Gath? <laughs> Where did he think that was going to work out good for him? I mean, he's the one that killed Goliath, and he's the one that, that you know, by his actions, so many Philistines were killed. And, and he runs down to Gath, and there, uh, you know, Achish, the king, and the other guys are like, hey, this is David. Here's our chance to kill him. And, of course, he had to act like a madman. But, I mean, his initial reaction, there wasn't much wisdom there. He just did what he thought was best in his own heart and mind. You're very likely to make a stupid mistake when you do that, especially when you're doing it in distress. You know, we're, we've taken these grief classes and, and trying to help people, and of course, you guys all know, they say, don't, don't, when you're going through grief, don't make any decisions for at least a year because you're, you're in a great distress and, and very likely you're going to make some decision and then it, it'll be too late. To, make any, to change it, and you'll regret it because you've made it in, in such great distress. You know, we see in the story here that David's mighty men, that what's their first reaction? When all, they come home and everything's burned up? They want to kill David, right? Uh, that just goes to show you that if anything ever happens, don't take it out on me, okay? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Uh, what I'm saying is that the, the, the human nature is to take it out on those closest to us. Right. Killing David wasn't going to solve anything. Killing David wasn't going to bring anybody back. 
killing David wasn't going to fix their problem at all. But they were angry and they wanted somebody to pay. So David was the one that was closest. And sadly, many times when we are in distress, we will hurt those closest to us. So don't use man's wisdom. Don't use just human wisdom or wisdom of... Use godly wisdom. How to encourage yourself? Let God show you what to do. And God will bring you to the point of victory. When David we know, was a man that was after God's own heart. You know, I, I think that that's a twofold. I mean, it, we think of it many times on the side is that he had a heart that was very much like God. But how you get to the place where you have a heart that's very much like God is that you have a heart that goes after God. And I think that that's David lived his life that way where he went after God and went after God and went after God and he spent so much time going after God that he started to be like God in his, not in the Mormon way where they become gods. You understand what I'm talking about? In his attributes and his character and how he portrayed himself and, you know, because he was striving to be like God. He had that heart. So, beloved, if we do these things, then we'll get to see God work. Verses 9 through 18, there's a miraculous thing that takes place. It's, well, go down to verse 18. Let me show you that first. In verse 18, we see, And David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives. He recovered everything the Amalekites had taken. He got it back. But what I want you to see is the miraculous way that God did it. So David was doing what God wanted, but then back up a little bit and look in verse number 11. And they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David and gave him bread and he did eat. And they made him drink water and they gave him a piece of cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. And when he had eaten, his spirit came again to him, for he had eaten no bread nor drinking any water three days and three nights. And David said unto him, To whom belongest thou, and whence art thou? And he said, I am a young man of Egypt, servant to an Amalekite. And my master left me, because three days ago I fell sick. Three days ago, God said, Well, David's going to need a guide. These Amalekites are getting a little far ahead. So uh, why don't you get a stomachache? And uh, this Amalekite says, man, you don't feel good? <laughs> you stay here. We don't want to catch what you have. You're, you're staying here. And he left them. Left them there in the desert. And for three days, he didn't have any food or water, nothing to drink. And I'll tell you what, you get pretty hungry after about three hours. I can't imagine the three days. And... and but what I'm saying is God miraculously appointed somebody to be right there where they would be so that he could bring them to his master. David says, hey, can you take me to him? And he says, well, I can do that if you promise not to kill me or uh, let my master kill me. Because when he finds out, he's going to be a little upset. Dave says, yep, we can guarantee that. And so this guy shows him exactly where to go so that he can recover all. 
But I'm saying, beloved, when you follow godly wisdom and do what God wants you to do, he does a miraculous thing and brings you through in a way that in and of yourself, it could not be possible. But you have God on your side and he does the miraculous and you stand back in awe and you say, wow, isn't God good? That's how you encourage yourself in the Lord. 